Hello there, welcome to Jubes and Curd, the podcast of my show on GB News. My name's Michelle Jubery, and you can catch me live every weekday evening from 6 till 7pm. But worry not, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Jubes and Curd. Keeping me company here until 7 o'clock tonight. My panel, we've got Conservative member of the House of Lords and former advisor to Boris Johnson, Daniel Moylan. Also the leader of the Heritage Party, David Curtin, and Len Baker-Opic, who's a former Liberal Democrat MP. I say this often, by the way, but uh, one of these days I'm going to commission a spin-off show, and it's all going to be about the commentary that we have here when we're listening to those news headlines, <laughs> particularly you, Lord Moylan. You crack me up. You make me laugh. Uh, Hamble uh, has been in touch with me, by the way, is one of the first emails saying, Michelle, why are you talking about the most important story of the day, Waggy for Christie? I've got to say, Hamble, I would rather eat my own hand. I can't find anything more ridiculous than two egotistical women talking about nonsense, paying for it with their husband's money. I'm not interested at all, but to my right, uh, Lord Moylan, you were just watching that in intro going, wow, what a great story. That's the kind of life I'd like to lead. It is totally Story of the day. I, I completely... Why don't we... We should all be able to live lives like that. Handbags, private jets... In the, in the, I mean, that's what everyone should have. Oh. Everyone should have that these days. <laughs> really? Uh, and and that's, that's sort of the life I want to lead. Well, Not keep stuck in the House of Lords listening to people Keep working. We'll see, we'll see if we can make it happen for you. We'll Thank see you. if we can try and... Uh, and I'm not sure anywhere life can get much more exciting than being on a panel. Look at this, this glorious yeah, yeah. panel yeah, that we've got. It's the second yeah, choice. Yeah. yeah. The second choice. There's only one way of improving it, and that's to move into the world of global celebrity. Right, well... <laughs> Which we haven't quite managed yet, Michelle. Well, there you go, Lord Moylan, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, you know the drill on Jubes and Co, don't you? It's not just about us three and our thoughts or ramblings, whatever you want to call them. It's about you at home as well and yours. What is on your mind tonight? Get in touch with me, gbviews at gbnews.uk. Tweet me, if you like, at Michelle Jubes or at gbnews. What do you think the big story of the day is? Do you agree with Hamble that it is indeed Wagafa Christie? We had a uh, conversation about whether or not we should cover this topic today. I just find it ridiculous. But am I in a minority? Get in touch. Uh, by the way, wherever you're watching and listening, you're very welcome tonight. We are on DAB+. Uh, we've got our own YouTube page, an app, social media. We're everywhere. So good evening to you, wherever you are. Nigel says that at six o'clock is his happy hour. He eats his tea in our, in our company and he says it's sublime. I like that, Nigel. No idea what you're having for your tea, but I like the word sublime. We should use it more often. Enjoy your dinner. Uh, and let's get into it then, shall we? Uh, the Queen, she wasn't there today, but today was indeed the opening of Parliament uh, with the so-called Queen's speech setting out the government's plans. Now... Ladies and gentlemen, as we've just been discussing, we have a treat. Our very own Lord. You were there today. I, I was there. Adult, very disappointed up. that you've uh, got dressed for the occasion, though. You've not. Where's got the un outfit? Got undressed for the yeah. occasion. Where's yeah, no, dolled up, dolled up in my robes, covered in all red and ermine and so on, and sitting there. And because it's my first time. Because last year when I was there, which would have been my first time, of course, COVID meant you could only have about half a dozen, oh, and a dozen, a couple of dozen people in the chamber. Um, so I didn't get in. They had a ballot. Uh, so this year, it was standard stuff. And, of course, what's going on here, Michelle, is that you know, the Queen, in a sense, is head of everything mm -hmm. uh, in, in nominal terms. So it's her uh, judiciary, uh, it's her government, uh, uh, and she also is the one who can... Uh, the only one who can open and close a, a parliamentary session because she's the one who 
calls us together. It's in, in, by virtue of her calling us together that Parliament actually exists legally. And so we have this traditional ceremony where at the beginning of each parliamentary session, usually once a year, the Queen comes along and, and she reads out what her government is going to do in, for, the, for the next year. Now, of course, all of this is actually written, every word of it is written by the government. You've got it here. Uh, and we've got the speech. Got? And what we've got here is not only the speech, but hot off the press this afternoon, I can't say I've read all 100 Use that camera pages, there, look, show it. Is, this is the government's um, commentary on the Queen's speech. Turn it round. Look this at how thick that is. The government's commentary on the Queen's speech containing some details, not enough details, of all the bills that it's going to carry out. And you can get that on the internet. And it's... Um, it's fascinating reading, and I would stick into that. So get into that. Get stuck into. Let that. me ask but you an honest question. Will you? Can I just hold this? Can yeah. I touch it? Um, honestly, 140 pages. Will you read all of this? No, I'll tell you what I'll do. When you're in the House of Lords or even in the House of Commons, because there are so many bills, 38 bills, mm -hmm. you just don't have time to get involved in detail in all of them. Mm -hmm. So you have to pick some that you're going to say these are the ones where I'm going to get a contribution. These are the ones where I'm going to get changes made, these are the ones where I'm going to be supporting the government. And that might come down to half a dozen or so that you're going to be real, a real expert in. And those are the ones you're going to focus on. So, for example, I'm very interested in the online safety bill, mm -hmm. but there are bills in there to do with agriculture, for example, There's, and yeah. where I'm not an ex... I have nothing really to say about agriculture. I don't know one end of a sheep from another. <laughs> so um, so if, I, if I was making speeches in the House of Lords about agriculture, everybody would be very polite and they'd say, well, what, 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 what's the point of listening to him? So there are other things where I'd like, I really want to get stuck into. So I will get... I, you have to be selective. I will be selective. Mm -hmm. And I'll get into the detail on some and less so on others. Right. Well, there you go. Um, by the way, it's a very kind of... Uh, Lembic, it's a very traditional ceremony. I was watching some yeah. of it today, the whole black rod thing going on. Um, I saw a picture, actually, that made me laugh. I don't know if I've got it to show you. You know, like the... Is it called... Are they called the Maces or whatever the they're mace. called? Yeah, yeah. Look at that. This is um, a picture of it actually going um, on its way there. And it really reminded me, if you're listening, not watching, I'm basically showing you a picture uh, of the car with quite an elaborate mace kind of hanging out the window. And it looks like, it reminds me of when I go to Ikea and I've overbought <laughs> and I can't get it all in my car and I've got stuff sticking out of sunroofs and windows and everything. I'm surprised they can't get a car that fits. But <laughs> Well, it should be in a car. Normally it's a horse-drawn carriage, you see. Oh, and right. it's only in a car because the Queen wasn't going to be able to make it. Mm all the way in the horse-drawn carriage, not because of but where, the, where it can go inside the palace, because she's got serious... And it's very sad, we should say. It's terribly sad we didn't have the Queen mm. there today. It was wonderful to have the Prince of Wales and the Duke of Cambridge, but uh, it would have been lovely to have had the Queen. And so the arrangements were all set up for her until... And then at the last minute, they changed them because she couldn't make it. And mm. I think that's why there weren't any carriages, because they'd have got the cars and everything set up. But you're quite right. I mean, uh, it's, it's not normal, normally done in cars. Normally you have this great procession down Whitehall with all the horses and the carriages and the troopers and so on. It's, it's lovely to watch, but uh, less so this year. But I've got to say, though, yeah. uh, it has been criticised, by the way, some of the pomp and ceremony. I've seen a lot of comments online going, come on, we're all kind of struggling cost of living and you've got these displays of opulence. And I don't share that view because I think, come on, it's tradition, isn't it? It's a bit of fun. I'm glad young Lord Moylan enjoyed his first uh, yes. Queen's speech. I did it about 15 times oh, as an MP. Right. all the same to <laughs> But me you were standing in black below the bar, we, whereas we're sitting there in, in, in robes. Well, we were the yeah. commoners. You're yeah, right. Okay. We had to yeah. stand behind the barn. Yeah, you did, you're, you're, you're summoned up. Yeah. Like a, like no, a we're not summoned. We're boys. requested. You are so wrong. You're going down, mate, for that. <laughs> uh, that was, there's all this history. Rivalry. He said, he said he's, 
he said the Queen demands the presence of the Commons. It's not true. Uh, there's a complicated ceremony where the mace is banging on the, on the Commons door and due to things that happened hundreds of years ago, then we're respectfully asked, invited to the Lords, and then everything else he said was completely right. I like it. It's not an expensive thing to do, no. and it's a bit of fun. And it's great. And if you've got tourism. an imperial state crown, you might as well take it out and use it sometimes. Yeah. There's no point locking it away and imagine that makes you richer. And right. just don't like the fact it's sticking out of a yeah. mace. Nothing right. to do with Ikea. How dare you? Well, you can't I buy can maces in Ikea. Well, all I can say it was not a woman driver, or else that mace had been getting scraped along Ooh. the wall. Are you allowed to say that these days? I'm surprised he wasn't on a bicycle with current government <laughs> yes. policy. But Anna, that's just agenda. me. Or a motorbike, Linda. Motorbike. The Queen agenda, maybe. Yes. A motorbike right. would be OK. Well, yeah. now that we've got into all of that, and um, we've worked out who's who and what's what, we'll get into the content of it then. Uh, David, 38 bills, lots of conversation about what's in it, but also <coughs> what's not. Your thoughts on some of the content? I thought that the speech itself was quite bland. You know, there was nothing much in it that they haven't mentioned It's not before. a comedy show. It's not supposed to be there to entertain. <laughs> not, not at all, no. But in terms of reality and, like, being in touch with where, where people really are, you know, if you live outside London, if you're living in a normal house and you're struggling, you've had the struggles of the last two years of lockdown, now energy prices are going up, inflations are going up. And he started off by saying, look, yeah, we've got to do something to help families with the cost of living, we've got to level up. But then it was seemed to be just full of cliches and nothing much for families, nothing much for ordinary working people. And he said later on in the speech, we're going to cut spending, sorry, cut taxes, great, we're going to cut the debt, that's great, but to do that you'd also have to cut spending as well. He didn't say much about that. He said basically what he indicated is going to continue carrying on spending on the sort of net zero plan that he's got, which actually is crazy because that's one of the things that is actually making the cost of living much more for everybody. So there was full of contradictions. That, that, that's a great irony. I completely agree with you. We're talking about an energy security bill. The reason the energy prices are so high is because of the government's stupid economic policies which pretend there's a climate crisis. Have I mentioned I don't think there's a climate emergency in the past ever? If you didn't have the shutting down of relatively cheap energy and this insane idea that CO2 is destroying the climate and so forth, then we'd be doing OK. But they didn't do anything radical like that. I think you're absolutely mm. right, David. They're kind of disguising the fact they've caused half the problems yeah. with these Pathetic solutions. Yeah, absolutely right. And it was just, yeah, it was just full of those kind of things which are completely out of touch with everybody. What, what they would, if they wanted to do something good, they would say, well, let's get back to coal, let's get back to gas, let's, so, you know, open nuclear power stations. That is good. They did say they're going to do that. But they, they're saying, you know, that they should have done that 10 years ago before they closed all the coal power stations and then left us with the problem. There's no kind of acknowledgement that they are the people who created the problems and there's not much that they're doing to solve the problems that they created. No offence, Conservative Lordship, we're not holding you personally <laughs> responsible. No, uh, I think that's um, good. Well, um, yeah, but I'll, I'll hold you a little bit responsible because this is indeed, um, you know, this is a Conservative government and one of the biggest pressure, pressing issues of the day is the whole cost of living. Um, I saw this wonderful little video that uh, Boris and Rishi put up on their social media this afternoon saying, we've been listening to you, all these people saying what their concerns are, and actually, cost of living, mm. I think it's really um, neglected in this, actually, and I don't think it's acceptable. I think there's something wrong, actually, with the Tories. It's almost like they don't seem to be able to relate to the struggles that people are having. And mm. I've read this, mm. and I find it great, Daniel, in terms of there's all this conversation about when it comes to the cost of living, essentially we're going to reassess in the autumn. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist of it. Uh, and for now, let's focus on economic growth. And I think that's excellent. I salute economic growth, and let's push for it. 
But that does not help, I don't know, the single mom who currently can't afford to feed and clothe her family. It doesn't help someone who's currently disabled. Mm. All of this talk mm. about higher skills and all of this and higher wage economy, brilliant. But in the here and now, it's lacking in my mind. Well, there's, I, I agree with you to some extent. There's a degree of dissociation. Any Queen's speech contains a, a large list of bills and it starts off saying, our vision is this. But then when you look at the details of the bills, many of them, many of them are things that actually uh, any government could have done in the past. They're things that civil servants say need to be done to modernise something. They don't always necessarily hang together. So we start off with a great statement, which I agree with, about e the economy and economic growth and jobs, high-quality jobs and things like that. But then a lot of the, a lot of the legislation here, it's, it's hard to relate that back to it. But then there's another point, and that is that Many of the things the government needs to do to address the cost of living cri crisis do not require, or the economic crisis, as I prefer to call it, mm -hmm. do not require legislation. Yeah. They don't require bills. So we've got the wrong sort of monetary policy from the Bank of England. We've got a wrong taxation, what we call a fiscal policy, which is the level of taxes. We've got, a, 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 we've got that wrong as well. Um, I think they, could be put, they, they should be put right. But putting them right doesn't require a, an act of parliament. It's, it's available to the Bank of England and to the government to, to take steps like that straight away. Uh, so I think we should have lower taxes and higher interest rates, and that would help stabilise inflation while helping people through a rough period. Um, but what we've got, in fact, is high taxes and, and rubbish interest rates. But don't you rates. think there should be more help to those people that really are struggling? So whether it's people that can't go out and work because they've got disabilities or things like that, I just feel a little bit uncomfortable with the I lack don't think of support that, I don't them. think those are the areas. I think the areas are the people who are not on benefits but who are struggling now with their wage to make it match the prices they're having to pay in the shops for essential things. And I think, to be honest, and the government has been honest about this, Boris has said very clearly, there are no easy answers to all of that, but I do think that lower taxes, national insurance rise, I think, is, is the wrong thing to do, um, and so on, could help with those people. And, uh, and they are now struggling because core essentials like food and energy are rising, but wages aren't rising to match them. So people living, you know, on the margins of income and expenditure are now finding they're out of kilter. Yeah, tell me what you think at home, by the way, because obviously Daniel's referring there to the, essentially the working poor. But I know, because you guys contact me often, that perhaps there'll be someone who physically cannot work, who is stuck uh, living on benefits, People sometimes get in touch with me and say you're a fixed income pension, pensioner, sorry, uh, and you guys are feeling the pain as well. I just think that there's more that could and should be done. Um, Phil has asked a really interesting question. I think it's an interesting question, Phil. If your panel could add a 39th bill to today's agenda, what would it be? Firstly, Phil, I admire your optimism in thinking that my whole panel's read all 38. I'm going to go with it, <laughs> and I'm going to ask Lembick. Uh, there's 38 in here now, and they're broad, they're broad reaching. Uh, but is there anything that you think is missed that should be in there? Abolition of the net zero target. I think that uh, his lordship is right. Most of the time, you don't need legislation to fix the kind of problems that we're discussing at the moment. Uh, you just need to have proper policies. And with taxation, you don't have to change the law. But this ridiculous net zero bill, uh, net zero uh, promise, this, this legislation which has been previously introduced, 
is what's causing the massive price hike in energy. And so if you abolish that, in other words, repealing legislation, remember, the Conservatives keep talking about repealing legislation, but then they've got tons of stuff which increases it here. Mm. Um, the idea of having 38 bills and bragging about it is exactly the opposite of a deregulating government should do. So I would have something to repeal that and let market forces decide energy prices without having these incredible subsidies that even the poor, especially the poor, uh, suffer from. That's what I would do. So and get also, rid of the climate uh, stuff? Uh, yeah, get rid of the climate stuff and actually also have a, a proper free trade mandate to, to make, the, make the government have to do a proper deal with, with the European Union. David? Yeah, I, I completely agree with Lembe there about getting rid of net zero, but that would mean repealing an act. I yeah. think you need to repeal the Climate Change Act 2008 and you need to come out of the Paris Climate Agreement. I agree with that. But on top of that, I'd put in a freedom bill rather than the online safety bill, which is going to restrict freedom and restrict freedom of speech. And you're going to have all these kind of things where uh, speech that is legal but harmful will be taken off social media, speech that is considered misinformation or disinformation, whatever that is. Who who knows what that is? And that could lend you in prison. It could get you a fine or something, could get you no platformed. Instead of that, I put in a freedom bill to actually reaffirm and assert freedom of speech and freedom of assembly and freedom of protest on all of our fundamental freedoms that we've seen taken away yeah. over the last two years. And this government is doing more to take away our freedoms with the online safety bill. Yeah, they're going to have a director for freedom of speech, by the way, who's going to help in universities. This is all about the freedom of speech, and they're platforming uh, voices that some students might not like. Uh, but, but, so can I say, isn't that ironic? Because it was David Cameron, Conservative Prime Minister, who talked about no platforming, that means censoring non-violent extremists. And to his great shame, Nick Clegg, who was leader of uh, a once great Liberal Democrat Party, actually went along with it. So they're actually doing a, uh, a U-turn for the right reasons, to an extent, on something the Tories introduced. That's, that's the weird thing about our political system. Lots of you writing in, by the way, about um, what's been called like locking on. So the whole kind of, you know, the eco um, protesters, all that kind of stuff. So this is all about the public order bill. Um, so what they're saying now is a new offence of locking on uh, is going to be created. So if you go off to one of these protests, um, it's giving you the right, by the way, to be searched. So if you've got something like a bike lock on your presence, you can get into trouble for that. But how around how are you going to prove that that is actually someone's intent to do things like that? By the way, this kind of locking on thing, all about this bringing infrastructure to a halt and all the rest of it, this was, uh, they tried to put this through in January, didn't they? And it was blocked by Labour's with the House of Lords. So they've revisited it again today, haven't they? And that is a popular bill for my audience. They're liking mm. that one. Mm. I like it too. Yeah. I think it's ridiculous that a small number of utter lunatics yeah. who, uh, who think the end of the world is nigh. I mean, we used to have these people with sandwich boards <laughs> going up and down <laughs> Oxford Street, but they didn't actually interrupt it. They were perfectly peaceable yeah. and uh, just slightly odd characters. Now you've got, you've got uh, these people who think the end of the world is nigh, the world's about to come to an end if we don't do something, and we've all got to have a crisis about it. And for that reason, they not just think that, they can actually totally disrupt people's travel, yeah. their jobs, their getting to work. Everyone, I think, agrees that should be stopped. It's ridiculous to say that has a legitimate form of protest, and I'm in favour of doing that. My 39th bill yeah. is the one that I'm bitterly disappointed in to appear in the Queen's speech, even though it was trailed as, as uh, being in the Queen's speech, and that would be a bill to scrap the Northern Ireland Protocol, right. which is not only, mm. it not only imposes undemocratic foreign laws on Northern Ireland, it also creates a wound in the United Kingdom, and it, it, is, it, it, it is humiliating for the whole country. It has got to go. And that should have been a, 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 
a key pledge. All we've got is some woolly words about we'll do whatever it takes to protect the Belfast Agreement, Good Friday Agreement. Well, of course, we all want to do that. But action is what's required now, not woolly words. There's, there's a problem there, though. Uh, I, I was sat as Secretary of State for Northern Ireland for the entire peace process, 10 years. And I understand why you say that. It's really hard to see how you could take that away without potentially restarting the troubles. I think the problem here... By the way, uh, uh, O'Neill, who's in charge of Sinn Féin, legitimately is First Minister according to the, to the rules. I think the problem is back to this Brexit situation where we've got a boundary, which was never intended to happen, down the, the Irish Sea. That's the failure of the current government. Well, yeah, but that's the Northern that's Ireland Protocol. Now it's time to put that right. Well, Get rid of it. Okay. gentlemen, hold your horses, my friends, because we're going to do a whole segment in just a second oh, about Brexit. Sorry. You know, the, uh, remember the bonfire of regulations and red tape? We were promised that, wasn't we? Uh, we're going to be looking at that over, um, well, just a little bit after the break. Also, one of the things that I thought was interesting and missing today, there was lots of kind of responsive um, uh, speech in here, responding to current issues. So, you know, the, the PNO thing, there's something in there uh, that would help with this. Obviously, we've just been talking about climate activists, something there that would help with this. But there wasn't anything really um, that specifically focused on the migrant crossings over the channel. There's bits and pieces around human rights bills and all the rest of it, but I find that quite fascinating. We'll be looking at that a little bit more in the programme. So for now, we're going to take a quick break and I'll see you in a couple of minutes. Hello there, I'm Michelle Jubery and this is Jubes & Co. Welcome back. My panel tonight, a little reminder in case you've just joined us, Conservative member of the House of Lords and former advisor to Boris Johnson, Daniel Moylan. Also the leader of the Heritage Party, David Curtin and Lemby Kopik, who's the former Liberal Democrat MP. George has just emailed in. George in Scotland saying, Michelle, this is the first time as a 55-year-old I can remember a political news show having three absolutely brilliant political guests <laughs> speaking sense, truth to power and refusing to be headed into the group think that damns our political classes in the UK. Keep up the good work. <laughs> he yeah, also yeah. says, P.S., you also have the best presenter as well, Michelle. <laughs> George, I made that last bit up, I'll admit that. The best bit about you three, he definitely said. The bit about me, I might have used my little artistic licence there. Anyway, uh, Seabrook says, Michelle, about that last conversation there about the uh, state opening, it is not the government's job to look after everybody. I'm retired on a small pension and I have to budget. Uh, they say people need to budget their income better or get help. But you see, the clue is in the last part there. It is the help that many will say uh, that those most in need are not getting. Keep your thoughts coming in, gbviews at gbnews.uk. Now, one promise in the uh, Queen's speech we've just been referencing there is to seize the benefits of Brexit. The Brexit Freedoms Bill aims to remove red tape imposed by Brussels and assert the sovereignty of the UK Parliament. Got to be honest, though, this is more, I would say, anyway, more of a kind of legal thing. It's quite complex. There's no real details uh, as yet as to which rules will be scrapped. Many uh, say all of this, though, is quite long overdue, not least because, of course, the Brexit vote was over half a decade ago. Can you believe that? Half a decade ago, mm. all that went on. Anyway, start with you, Lenvik, your thoughts. Well, there was something called the Red Tape Challenge run by Grant Shapps, who, who now runs the uh, Department for Transport. And he actually had some success in getting rid of some uh, red tape. The thing is, that's not the problem with, with Brexit. The problem with Brexit, plain and simple, is that while we are meant to be free from a lot of European legislation, we're also incarcerated when it comes to exporting things into the European Union. Now, the EU loves that, I think. They want to punish us so that places like Italy and Greece don't follow suit and, and have their own exits. But 
the one big failure of Boris Johnson, I think, more than anything else, is he didn't get a free trade deal. That's why we've got problems with the Northern Ireland Accord, where the, the border's going ever closer to, to forcing a united island. And that's why, if you ask anybody who exports, anyone who manufactures and tries to get into the EU, they're being punished for this. Boris should have sorted this out. For that, there could have been legislation. Now, uh, I think that the, the um, European Union has totally mishandled uh, the UK by punishing us like this, but there's no getting away from the fact I don't think the Tories have proved that they can actually make the relationship work across that channel when they said they could. I know. Well, first of all, we do actually have a trade deal with the European Union. It's called the Trade and Cooperation Agreement. It's the most comprehensive deal they've got. It's got the only one with zero tariffs, zero quotas and so on, all that. But actually, I think that's completely wrong. What Lembit really wants is for us to get back into the single market. No, that I means don't. we will be subject I to their rules. Don't. Because, of course, it's obvious that whatever happens, as long as we're outside the European Union, if we're selling something into Europe, we have to make it to match their standards. Just as if we're selling something to the United States, we have to make it to match US standards. And that's just how business has to operate. We operated that way before. We made things according to European standards because we were in the single market. But if you were selling to America, you had to make it towards to, to American standards. The other thing is trade deals are hyped up, talked up. Everyone thinks they're magic. They're not magic. No government has ever made its country rich by entering into a trade deal. If you could do that, we'd have them all over the place and everyone be, would be richer. The, the, the fact is, we, the European Union only wants to do deals with its near neighbours if, it, if it's in control. And that's why we walked away, because everything we wanted to do to put into that deal, which was additional, they said, well, of course we can do that, provided you accept your subordinate status and you accept our but rules. Just There's right. no safe just to be clear, Just, to be clear, just I, like Norway. I'm, I, I am not trying to get us to go back into the European Union. To be absolutely clear, that's not my, my uh, agenda here. What I am saying, if you try to export things, I've tried to export things into the EU, you get killed by delays and tariffs. That, that's killing uh, manufacturing. I know a whole bunch of. Do you blame all these delays on Brexit? No, I blame these delays on the British government. I think it was avoidable. Now, you might say, Daniel, that I'm wrong about this. And I don't know where David's answer. But what I'm saying is that, that people are now moving, companies are moving their, ex, their, their, their manufacturing into the EU out of expedience because they simply haven't got a way to economically export from the UK. And but I think will. that was avoidable. I agree that's, with that. If you, if you join a customs union, as we did in the 1970s, you join a customs union, you will always do more trade with the other countries inside that customs union. And if you leave a customs union, which we've democratically voted to do, you will inevitably do less trade with them. What is the surprise about uh, that? Uh, we voted for this, and quite rightly too. The problem is, I think, Brexit was not done properly. Mm -hmm. I and mean, we should have come out with no deal. And then we could have made a free trade agreement yeah. after that. Well, what we did, we, we got the, you know, the worst of both worlds in a way. <laughs> so we, we've got, we, we're still beholden to a lot of EU regulation. And the question with this is, now Boris is saying, or, or the Queen's speech is saying, that we're going to have this bill to cancel some of the regulation. But why wasn't this not done two years ago? Well, straight because after of the when we came because out of the Brexit, pandemic, but, I think it's okay, fair to say. This perhaps, is a big thing. The background perhaps, here but, is that... Know, we all love Brexit and we all love freedom. So you might think this Brexit freedom Look at these bill two spaces. Must be... Well, I mean, <laughs> but, but there are very the few non-Brexiteers now. We, we, so a Brexit freedom really? bill must be fantastic. But actually what this bill is really about is something called EU retained law. Because when we were in the European Union, EU law trumped any British law. And when we came out, that was this legal situation. And when we came out, we left that position that existing EU law trumped existing British law. It's called EU retained law. It has a higher status than laws made by Parliament. 
So the first thing this bill is going to do is scrap that. We'll keep the laws, but they won't be have that, that fundamental position. The second thing it'll do, and this will be a bit controversial, is set up mechanisms for ministers to deregulate things that are in those laws. And there'll be a lot of people who object to that because they say, no, you should have an act of parliament to deregulate it. Mind you, you never had an act of parliament with the regulation in the first place and it just arrived from <laughs> Brussels. Um, so they're going to do that. But what they're not going to do in this bill, this is the disappointment, in my view, I'm guessing, but I'm pretty sure I'm right, is they're not going to set out a whole load of regulations and scrap them. This is a, me a mechanism to allow them to scrap them once the bill's in place, and they'll go through them one by one and decide what to do. Well, um, yeah, and that's a good thing. But, I mean, to, so to go back to the original point, is that we didn't do it properly because yeah. now Northern Ireland is separate. So I don't know if this bill is going to apply yeah, well, to Northern Ireland. Yeah, we can still put that right. Because no, they're part of the Northern that, Ireland... We're gonna, that's that's a very good it, question. We've got to, we've got to scrap Northern the Northern Ireland protocol, as you said earlier. That's not part of what anyone's saying today, and that's what needs to be done as a priority. Let me ask you very quickly then. Um, Daniel accuses you of wanting to sneak your way back into the EU, and you might have seen uh, Macron. I Single think it was yesterday. <laughs> yeah. um, you might have seen Macron yesterday. He was at Strasbourg, and he's talking about flirting this and what he calls a European political community. Other people are calling it EU light. He's very generously said uh, that people who have left the EU, i.e., the UK, uh, and people like Ukraine could be a member of this. What do you think to that? Well, first of all, let's leave the Ukraine bit aside. That's a bit of posturing by, by Macron, way too controversial uh, for, for a debate about the UK status in the EU. But I would like to call it something else. It's a radical thought. Let's call it the EEC. That worked quite well. And I have to say, I tend to agree with what Macron said. To be clear, I don't, I'm not trying to worm us back into the European Union. I happen to agree with what Daniel said. I think the EU became overbearing. I did vote for Remain. But now I can see that the way the EU's misbehaved ever since then, even trying to steal our, our vaccines at one point, which is unforgivable, and that you they've misbehaved. Concede, because it is, when people say, well, how's Brexit going? I, I think that's quite unfair because, as we just alluded to, there's been this pandemic and all these kind of things that are outside of anyone's control. But actually, many people will say, that Brexit gave us the freedom to respond uh, independently, navigate our own course through various things like the vaccine programmes and things like that, that I would say, um, because I was a passionate Brexiteer and one of my primary reasons was I think that it's for you as a country to have sovereignty over your own decisions and yeah, your own yeah. path thought, right. forwards. Uh, I, I voted to remain at the time for, for pragmatic reasons because I'd underestimated the venom with which we'd be punished by Brussels afterwards. But in a sentence, I can answer to what you said there, Michelle. It's not the fact we left the European Union that's the problem. It's like David said, it's the way we failed to capitalise on afterwards. And Daniel actually said his disappointment, I don't know if all three of us agree on this, which would be a second amazing consensus here, I think that a massive opportunity has been missed. We should be getting rid of hundreds of regulations. And I do disagree with, uh, with, uh, with Daniel on this at this point. I think we could have had a much better uh, uh, trade deal if we'd done what David said, said, we're leaving, now we're talking, because you need us as much as we need you on well, some limited like, areas. When it was the whole WTO thing, is that what you're talking about? You would have gone to that? Uh, it yeah, that's, been... that's the idea of no deal, which a lot of people would say, you know, that, that's cliff the edge. thing to do, that's Many the way to do called it. it, if I remember rightly. No, it's never going to be a cliff edge. Mm. Let's have yeah, a cliff edge that's the kind of language that's used to scare Rolling people. off a small sand hill, not falling off a cliff. Uh, Douglas says, 
Um, can any one of you give 10 good reasons how Brexit has helped the UK? Well, I can't give you 10, <laughs> just for time reasons, um, Douglas. But what I would say, as we've just been alluding to, you know, we've had this monumental global pandemic since then. And, and also, I think I've just given you one uh, example, having the freedom to kind of uh, chart your own kind of path, if you like. The vaccines was an example. So there you go. That's one. Uh, let me know what you think for that one. I think it's quite a good one, quite frankly, Douglas, do you? Anyway, quick break. When we come back, uh, we've all heard about this Rwanda thing, haven't we? It's, it's been doing the round circling a long time now. But is it ever going to happen? Apparently, this is the week when it is, or at least this is the week when uh, certain people will be told that they are on their way to Rwanda. But do you believe this? I've got to say, so many uh, lawyers right now are circling, aren't they? They must think this is their kind of lucky break. It's ka-ching, isn't it? All the way to the bank. So is it ever actually going to happen? We'll have that and more in a couple of minutes. Hello there, I'm Michelle Jubery and you're watching or listening to Jubes & Co with me and my panel tonight. We've got House of Lords and former House of Lords. You're a Conservative member of the House of Lords. I, I, I went straight in then. You are not just you, the House of Lords, but you are one of the key members. Well, no, I'm, not, I'm members. the key member. Key well, I'm I'm, I am so unkey. Yes, the... <laughs> I'm so lost the on the back benches. Nobody knows who I am. Oh, we know who you are. We know who you are. Anyway, <laughs> we, we've got Daniel Moylan. Uh, we've also got leader of the Heritage Party, David Curtin, and Lemby Kerpik, who is the former Liberal Democrat MP. I do find it quite interesting, though, because you're all from quite a different kind of mm. spectrum politically, mm. aren't you? Yeah. Uh, and we're managing to find some agreement here, some common ground. Uh, we might need to go for a lie down afterwards. What's happening to us? <laughs> we should form a government. You could be the Prime Minister, Michelle. Me? Oh, God, right. I'd vote for you. Part, yeah. No, goodness <laughs> gracious me, no, thank you. Um, I like sitting here uh, commentating instead. April says, Michelle, you've asked what my 39th bill would be. Mine would be that your show is extended to two hours and on a Saturday and Sunday too. Goodness <laughs> me. I like you, April, but I don't like you that much. I like my weekends as well. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Martin has been in touch about the whole cost of living thing we've just been discussing, saying that the high-wage, high-skill economy is only for the few. He says too many jobs uh, going around that keep the economy going, actually, are incredibly low income. Interesting. Uh, we're going to talk about the whole Rwanda thing in a second, and hopefully we'll have time uh, before we go to talk about uh, child abuse, because there's new sentencing guidelines today that basically say, in a nutshell, if you abuse an animal and you uh, share the content online, you get a higher sentence. Angie says, Michelle, this is a huge business. Uh, people are posting these things to order, so please, panel, don't trivialise just how much this legislation is needed. Well, hopefully I'll get into that in just a couple of minutes, Angie. But for now, the first group of illegal migrants to be sent to Rwanda under the government's new scheme will be told that they're on the list to go this week. But they're not going to be on a flight anytime soon with Home Secretary Priti Patel blaming, I quote, specialist lawyers for the delay. What do we think to this, uh, David? There's a lot of frustration. I mean, there's all mixed views about the Rwanda thing anyway. Let's just park for now that and look at, is it actually going to happen? It doesn't look like it, because I think this was announced at the start of the local election campaign to give Tory voters a bit of red meat so that they would attract them back to vote for them, given their terrible record and stuff over the last couple of years and so on. The people are very frustrated. Um, but, you know, she's saying today the first people are going to be told in a, you know, a few days' time. Um, but then when are they actually going to go? 
to Rwanda and how many are going to go because the amount of money that was put into the scheme would only allow for a very small number of people to go what, to Rwanda. What was it, 120 mil? It was 120 mil, but it was, it was estimated about 100,000 per person. So that's only 1,200 people who were going to Rwanda. And we've got perhaps 100,000 people coming over the channel this year on dinghies, added to the 40,000 that have already come over the last three years. So there's a fewer than 1% of people would be going. And now she's saying even that small number of people who would be going, uh, they might not be able to go because of activist lawyers, specialist lawyers. She's almost setting it up to fail, uh, you know, or, or sort of putting a shield up in case it fails so that if it doesn't, she's already sort of said this isn't going to work. So I really wonder if they actually, it, this is just a PR exercise rather than anything that they expect to work or, or expect to happen. See, Daniel, this is uh, your government's policy, this whole Rwanda thing. I personally think that we're at a crisis situation now with what's happening in the channel. You cannot have tens of thousands of people just randomly getting on a dinghy in France, being picked up halfway along and put into hotels in the UK, ad infinitum. It's ridiculous. I would say that emergency legislation, whatever is the, the right terminology to allow this to happen, should have been put in place a little while ago. So for me now, when I hear Pretty Patel sitting there going, oh, you know, I think the lawyers might, um, you know, put the kibosh on this, I kind of sit there and I think, well, you should have created legislation to make sure that what you're doing allows for it to be done within the frameworks of the law. Am I wrong? Um, I think David is being utterly uh, cynical and wrong about this. Look, this is an experiment. and it's an, it's, it's an experiment to see if we can help crack the problem or, or if this will contribute to cracking the problem. And it's important to know what success will look like. The policy will have failed if nobody ever goes to Rwanda. But the policy will also have failed if 10, 15, 20,000 people go to Rwanda, because that's neither sustainable nor affordable. So the policy has to work as a deterrent. Yeah. It's got to stop people coming because they believe it's really going to happen. Yeah. Mm. And why pay your money and find yourself in Rwanda? Because these, these people have got money, they're paying money to come across. Why pay your money? And maybe you should rethink about what you're doing. Now, in order to get it to happen in the first place, it is inevitable that the first cases are going to be challenged in the courts, not because of Acts of Parliament, because of human rights law. Now, you might say we should abolish the European Convention on Human Rights. I don't ha happen to agree with that, but, or, or left it, but I don't happen to agree with that. But, but it's inevitable they're going to be challenged in the courts. And then once you get over those early challenges, you will establish some case law about it, which means the later ones go through more quickly because the opportunity to challenge them in the courts gets narrower and narrower. So it's got to be made real. It's got to be made something which people believe is going to happen to them. Um, and it's got to have the effect not of sending thousands of people to Rwanda, but of stopping thousands of people from thinking, this is my chance. It may not work, but it's important to know what working and not working actually look like. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Me, where do you stand on all this? Uh, uh, well, uh, I think that the three one-sentence responses, number one, this is a 1% hit rate for the people who are coming over, I estimate. So he's still got a 99% chance of not going to Rwanda. What's that's the not 1% hit rate? Well, I, would, I personally think 100,000 people are coming into the UK. Well, what's the 1% though? Uh, if 1,200 people are going to Rwanda. Well, who said 1,200 people? Well, how many people would you think are going to go to Rwanda then? I well, don't know, but 120 million isn't uh, the money. That's not the cost of the scheme. It, well, the cost I of the scheme, that, that's the money that paid to Rwanda. That's completely wrong yeah, the way you've interpreted well, well, those figures. Okay. So if I don't I'm know how many are going to go to Rwanda, but the important but, thing is that 
enough people think they might go to. Yeah, hold on a second. They land here. I'm sitting in. I'm sitting on the French side of the Channel, thinking they've budgeted for about 1,200. I'm going to take my chances. Okay, well, I have a different. That, that's my opinion. That's my view of the psychology. Well, small the, number. Let's not get okay, hung up on small, small number. Small number. Okay. But the other two points, I think, what we could do with 120 million pounds to actually contain that border. Uh, from Can't here. Can't do anything without the French. And, well, with drones, we could do an awful lot. Drones, drones are relatively inexpensive. What do you do with the drones? Do you do with the drones, drones can fly around. You, you actually, them. you actually have enough um, a, a drone power to actually see what's actually coming across. Because a lot of people are never detected. And Let's not what? pretend. And, and then you have, you spend the rest of the money on boats to apprehend them. And then finally, here's the point. They want you to be apprehended. Mean, yeah, but, uh, that's what they want. That's what they Sorry, want. They want the to be apprehended. Your plan is rapidly falling down. <laughs> they don't need drones down. to be apprehended. They're waiting. Yeah, go on then. Just think, wait a minute. On, and what about, what about if you spend £50,000 on uh, sending them back to where they started? That would be, uh, that would be a, a, an answer. And if, if either of you two, either of you three thinks we don't have a duty of care in Rwanda for these people, for the same human rights they would have in the UK, then you're dreaming. Well, the first thing is if we were to... The difficulty about sending them back is what we've been trying to do, where they started, and they destroy their papers. It's not always possible to establish... They routinely destroy their papers. It's not always possible to establish where they've come from and so on. So that, that, is, that creates all sorts of difficulties. So sending them to a safe place like Rwanda is, is the thing. I don't, I'm not claiming this is necessarily going to work. Uh, I think it's, as I said, an experiment. It's an attempt to make something work. Remember, this, is, this crossing in boats is a product of success. When, when the French were willing to help us, we actually boxed all these people out of the port of Calais so that they don't, couldn't come across on trains or in lorries, and that's what they don't do anymore. That's why they moved up the coast. Uh, I'm sorry, I mean, this, the thing is not a deterrent, because, you know, as Lembert said, if you'd agree with me, this is only going to send 1% of people coming. So people think they've got a 99% chance of staying in the UK if they make it to the UK. Well, the only way to stop this is to stop people coming across the Channel. That means the well, boats have got to be pushed back to France. We've got to stop meeting the French so Navy halfway. So yeah, what, tow, what would that tow, look like? Tow the boats back to France. Get the border force, the Royal Navy, to tow the boats from the middle. At the moment, the French Navy is escorting mm. dinghies to the middle of the channel. They're meeting border force boats and RNLI boats who are picking them up and then transporting them to the UK. That needs to stop, and we need to stop meeting the French Navy. If they bring dinghies across, we need to push them back into French waters or even get a, get a tow line and tow them back to the French beaches. They they might not like that, but that's the only way to stop it. Do that for a couple of weeks, people will stop coming because then they'll see, well, we're not going to get to the UK in the first place, so we're not going to be able to stay. They won't, they'll stop trying. You can oh. only do that with French cooperation. But yeah, we can afford that. We've... 120 million pounds will buy a lot of cooperation. Yeah, but hang on, because we say, I just <laughs> want to be clear here, because we're saying like 120 million pounds, like it's an absolute small fortune. Far be it from me to issue a quick reminder here, but we, as of the start of February, I think it was, were spending almost five million pounds a day putting people up in hotels. So when you say 120 million, off the top of my head, now I might show myself up here when it comes to my maths, but that is about a month's worth of hotel bills there or thereabouts, give or take. Yeah, okay. So £120 million, when it comes to the context of this particular issue, it's, it's chicken feed. I know I don't all start shouting at me about the cost of living and all the rest of it, because I'm not making that point. I'm making the comparison point about what we spend, yeah. which we knew of, by the way, at the start of Feb. Look at the numbers that have come since then. So I suspect it'll be a lot more than that. 
Um, anyway, I'm oh. getting so into this conversation. <laughs> a, a, I've forgotten um, to talk about um, animal cruelty, so I'm going to save that one for tomorrow. And B, I've all I've just noticed the time. Uh, so you know what? Let's agree to disagree, chaps. That's uh, we're allowed to do that in a free society, aren't we? We'll park Absolutely. it there. Absolutely. Uh, you guys. Uh, I was just about to say, you guys, what do you think to the next topic? But no, 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 no. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much to my panel. Thanks for listening to Jubes and Co, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a nice comment. I'll see you next time. Thank you.